verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the first thing that this passage shows us is the astonishing depth of Christ's humility. How, how deep it really is in the, the, his work on the cross. And Paul begins his story by, by showing Christ coming and by telling the great depths, the great depths that this Christ took on by becoming a person. He was an, it, the eternally existing God. He always was. He always will be. This is the eternal God putting on flesh. Him being form, being in the form of God, being equal with God. And he didn't count that as something to be grasped, to be taken advantage of, or to be exploited. And so he, Paul moves on and shows us that in humility, God, in the person of Jesus Christ, takes on flesh. He actioned he actioned his humility by taking on the form of humanity and laid in this forgotten cattle stall, taking on flesh. The Creator, taking on flesh, the Creator experiences creation. And then we see Christ growing in his hum perfect humility. The depth of Christ seems to be, go deeper and deeper with this phrase. Many of you, you aren't far from the teenage years. Some of you are in your teenage years. But those of us who were, do you, do you remember what they were like? Awkward. Just awkward. I, hormones start raging. Acne starts raging. Everything. You start feeling greasy and ugly and dirty. And this, our Christ came into this. He came into that existence, and he was a teenager. Can you, do you remember what it was like trying to figure everything out as a teenager? Some of you are going, yeah, I am the perfect fount of wisdom at the age of 13. I know all, right? I know everything. And Christ, even in his moment, was not that teenager, but he struggled. As a teenager, Christ demonstrated perfect humility. God made man was doing family chores. God made man was putting away all the dishes. God made man was sweeping the floor of his father's carpenter shop. The maker of all things in humility was doing what? He was serving his family. And we see the humility of Christ on display even in his earthly ministry, right? His ministry is always marked by Pharisees who are meant to be the people pointing the people of God towards that coming Messiah, but instead they were always irritating and frustrating and objecting the teachings of Christ. The one who even wrote the scriptures is being accused of not knowing them or misapplying them. Isn't that crazy? Think about that. The one who is perfect in justice and in holiness is being crucified between two, two sinners. The humility of Christ is on display throughout his entire ministry. 
And I just want to spend a moment here sorting out our thinking of Christ's humility and his death. It's vital that we see that Christ did not lose his life. Christ didn't lose his life. He laid down his life. His life wasn't taken from him, but Christ willingly bore the cross and our shame out of love. It was his own choice. He wasn't caught up in this scheme to take him out. No, Christ was placing himself in the center of this activity and said, I am willing to do it. John chapter 4 said, Christ said this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Christ chose in humility to lay it down. It goes on to say that no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So you cannot take the life of Christ. You cannot do that. You cannot take anything from him. You cannot humble Christ. No, instead, he is the king of all humility. Christ instead humbles us. As we look at this Christ, we are humbled by this Christ of humility. He humbled himself when he was equal with God. The second person of the Trinity. Very God of very God. Begotten, not made. Being of the same substance of the Father. By whom all things were made. He was humble. He humbled himself by living into the very plan of redemption. So even before the foundations of the earth, before knowing that mankind would need the Savior, before we knew we needed a Savior, God orchestrated a plan of redemption. And Christ took on flesh, forever enjoining His nature to the nature of mankind. One person, two natures. And Paul is writing this letter in the Philippians as he's writing, he is using this song to help us be called to humility in life together. Verse 5 says, having this mind. It's, it's yours already. So Paul is using this, this Christ hymn to call us to live in a certain way together. He, he hopes that as we look at the humility of Christ, that we will also be humbled. So we as a family need to keep looking at Jesus if we are going to grow in our practice of humility. Keep looking at Christ, staring at Christ, live in humility, stare at Christ, live in humility. We are hardwired, aren't we, for self-preservation, for self-glorification, for selfishness. That is who we are. If I listen to you long enough, I hear it in your conversations. You'll hear it in my conversations. The more that we grow in Christ, the more that we see Christ as the very center of our lives, everything else finds its alignment. The more that we stare at Christ. So let's commit to growing together in our humility, together as a spiritual discipline, as a spiritual practice. Let's gently, let's gently help one another grow in humility because we need gentle help in this, don't we? 
So the first thing that we see as we look at the cross is the depth of Christ's humility. Here's the second thing that we see. We see the perfection of Christ's humility. So, verse 8 again. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to the point of death. So to think rightly about the obedience of Christ, we have to think about his two natures. We talked about this last week, and I want to remind you that Christ is fully God. 100% God. And he is fully man. 100% man. So in his deity, Christ cannot change and Christ cannot grow in his deity. He is perfectly God and he is perfect in his nature right there. He can never change. He is, as theologians say, he is immutable. He is unchangeable. But in his humanity, he did grow. And as I shared last week, Luke in his gospel informed us that Christ grew in his stature and in his favor with God and with man. And the, reader, uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us that although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So we see Christ learning progressively and growing in his practice of humility. And in every step where obedience was required, Christ exceeded. He went above and beyond the requirement of obedience. Christ modeled obedience throughout his entire life. We talked about this briefly last week, but his very first miracle, his very first miracle was at Cana of Galilee. And Jesus' mother came to him and just said, hey, Jesus, they are out of wine. You should do something about that. And Jesus said, mother, my time hasn't come yet. And then the father impresses upon his heart that the time has come to reveal who you are. And so what did Jesus do? He turned water into wine, walking in obedience to the Father's voice. You even see it in Matthew chapter 4 as Jesus was being tempted in the the desert as, as Satan is putting before him these idols of power and glory and possessions. Satan is saying, listen, if you would just disobey the Father, all of these things could be yours. You could own them. These could be yours. But once again, Christ said, no. In fact, he said, get behind me, Satan. Have you not heard it said? You can even see it with Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is praying to his Father, not my will, but yours be done. He prays out of perfect obedience. And Jesus finally hanging on the cross by the design of the Father, the sinless one, bearing all the penalty of our sins. Jesus models and demonstrates perfect obedience. He, in that moment, could have called down a legion of angels, put an end to it all, but instead, he went to the very end. Dying on a cross. Praise God for his obedience. So when we think about the obedience of Christ specifically connected to his death, I want us to ask or answer one question. How is it that through this obedient death of Christ, all might be saved? 
And to answer that, I think we've got to know. We we need to understand the way that sin came into the world. We need to understand the consequences of sin at work in the world. And we also need to know how the cross can forgive us of the consequences of sin. So first, I I want you to look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is a, a beautiful gem. So I want to hear some glorious pages of Bible Page turning or swiping, it doesn't have quite the same beautiful noise as uh, pages of the Bible. But starting at Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, Paul explains exactly, perfectly, how sins came into the world, how it spread, and how Christ dealt with sins. Look Look at Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned so here we have the the origin of sin which was through the disobedience of one man and that one man's name is adam and it, and it was in the garden where Adam believed this slick little whisper of a serpent where he whispered, that, listen, these promises, you want to be like God? All you have to do is this. And Adam believed that over the promised word of God. And he chose disobedience. And through his disobedience, we all receive death. So now jump down to Romans 5 verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and the life for all men. So what Paul is doing here is showing that Adam's sin led to condemnation. All of us are in Adam, which means that all of us are born into the likeness of Adam, and we are all born into sin. We are all born sinners every time. So every hand should go up of when, when I ask the question, who has sinned? Every one of you should say, right here, every one of us, I have sinned. Oh, and if I could tell you the ways, Paul, oh, I've got a long list, all of us. All of us have sinned. So what is the punishment for that sin? Scripture is really clear. It is condemnation. We must give an account for our sin. And we must be punished for our sin. This is why, my friends, that we die. Why we come to the end of life and we peer into an urn or a, a casket. It is because we all die because we all sin. This is why every man, woman, and child will die. Because the working of sin in creation. You see that in verse 18, right? As one trespass, one trespass led to the condemnation for all men. But there's good news, right? It doesn't stop there. So one act of righteousness leads to the justification for all men. There's a lot of words in there. The word justification can be just simply, and I know this is a very basic uh, kind of definition, definition, but justification. Justification is just as if I had never sinned. It's like, it, but it's more than that. Because now we stand 
totally clothed in Christ's benefits. All that is Christ is now all of ours. The benefits of Christ are now extended out to you. If you believe in Christ Jesus, you have confessed your faith in Him, you stand totally justified as if you had never sinned and bearing all of Christ's righteousness. You are totally clothed in the perfection of Christ. We have a right standing. So in verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, right? So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Where did sin come from? The origin of sin is mankind. What is the result of sin? The result of sin is sin, condemnation, death. And what is the remedy of sin? There is only one name, and that name, that remedy, is Jesus Christ. He is our only remedy, our only hope. I hear Star Wars in that. Jesus Christ is our only hope. He's the only one that we can place all of our lives into. So there are two categories of every man, woman, and child that has been ever born. There are those who believe in Christmas songs being sung before Thanksgiving and those who are right. But that's not the true categories. The true categories are those who are born in Adam and those who are born again in Christ. Those are the two true biblical categories for every man, every woman, every child. There's not a third option. That's it. Those are the two categories. Those who are born in Adam, here, here's what they are. This is us. We have been born of the flesh. We've been made by God and in His image, but we were born into sin. And so the only hope that we have is Christ. And not placing our hope in Christ. My friends, the punishment for that is death. Not just death like we're going to disappear, but a death and an eternal separation from God in a real place, a real place called hell. So each one of us is born under the head of Adam, the line of Adam, and the gospel, is, the gospel at that point is very bad news. It's very bad news. If you do not believe in Christ, you are eternally separated from God and will live forever in a real place called hell. But Romans 5, verse 8. Did you? We, we skipped right over that. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. So we have this other group of people. Those who are under Adam and those who are under Christ we have, we have been born again just like those who have been under the headship of Christ, but now we are born again into Christ. We are alive in Christ. 
Those who have been born of Christ, who are born again, will live forever in a real place where the peace of God reigns forevermore. No more sorrow. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more shame. And that is all made possible through the obedient, the obedient death of Jesus Christ. The obedient life of Jesus Christ is our only hope, not our own works. There's nothing that you and I could do to get out from underneath being Adam other than believing in Jesus Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We have to put our faith in Christ. And for those of you who are already in Christ, our, hear this, our obedience does not earn God's favor. Did you hear that? If you are already in Christ, you place your faith in Him. Your obedience does not earn God's smile. Many of us live with one eye open as we do things just to see if God is noticing, right? If I just do this, will God be happy? If I just do this, will God be happy? And we keep doing this, hoping that we would get his attention, maybe earn his favor, maybe his approval. But the message of the gospel is that we do not obey to earn God's approval. We obey the commands of God because we have already been given the approval of God. That's why we obey. Oh, what a gift you've given to me. I cannot help but respond to it by being obedient. And that, that is such a huge difference. Huge difference. So if you are in Christ now, I don't care what you did this morning, last night, or in the last week in college, you stand totally accepted because of what Christ has done because his obedience not your obedience that's what makes the gospel such good news it's because of what christ has done so the obedience of christ the work of christ is nothing of our own and that should free us to live to serve to love to be humble. It frees us to walk in obedience, not to earn God's approval, but because we've been given it as disciples wanting to love those and worship Him, we love and give freely. But here's the last one. We've got to understand and see in this section the reason for Christ, for His death. And being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now we have come as low, as low as we can. The one who has been the object of the praises of angels is now the object of scorners, right? The one whose breath made all things is having his breath breath taken away from him by asphyxiation, by the gravity that he even created. The very perfect perfection of holiness, the author of creation, now stands between or is hanging between two criminals. The reason that Christ did this was to rescue us from our sin, to forgive us from our sin. And the very first verse of this song is right. There is this epic turning point in our ears 
that we should be hearing. The final echo of the final word is cross. It's the cross. It's the cross. What kind of death? Even the death on a cross. Can you believe this? Paul is going from, he was God. He is God. He became man. He came lower. He came lower. He was obedient. But then he finally died the death of a criminal on a cross for you. That's what he did. The most shameful way a person could be killed in the Roman time was a death on a cross. But our Savior was bound. Our Savior was flogged. Our Savior was slain. Our Savior was crucified. And as He hung on the cross, He stood there in our place. He stood there for a purpose. And we are the reason that Christ died. I I love this old hymn, how it describes it. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood bearing shame and scoffing rude in paul's place ken's place ed's place margie's place Condemned, he stood. The cross should, my friends, have been ours. Now, there's many reasons why Christ died. He died to bring glory to the Father. He died to bring freedom to the captives. He he died to defeat the works of Satan. But he died so that we would never have to die. But I just want us to think of one thing in our final, final moments together. The reason Christ died was for our sins. Can you say that this morning? Christ died for my sins. He died for my sins. And as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, he explains the very nature of the death of Christ. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So I'm going to give you a doctrinal phrase right here. Those of you who love to be geeky, this phrase is right here that what we're talking about is called penal substitutionary atonement. Penal meaning it is a legal thing. Legally, Christ In my place, substitutionary. Legally, He took my place. Atonement. Jesus made it right. Legally, Christ took my place and He made everything right. And what we are saying in these three words is that Christ chose to come and stand in your place so that you may be free. And my friends, what a gift that is. Do you understand that? The two things that we need to understand as Christians is what happened on the cross as Jesus is standing in our place. All of our sins, every one of our sins has been laid upon Him. Past, present, future. Every one of your cotton-picking sins, every one of my sins has been laid upon our perfect Savior who was obedient all the way to the end. 
Every bit of it was laid upon his shoulders. Not one little thing that you think you can hide from the church, that you can hide from your friends, from your family, your wife, your children, your spouses. Every one of those things have been laid upon him. And it was absorbed by Christ. And the wrath, God's wrath against sin, was poured out on his Son. And this pleased God the Father. To finally pay for all the sins of humanity. And it was laid on Christ Jesus. Everything has been transferred to Christ. And in this moment, you should feel a, a lightness. All of your sins. And here's also what happened. Not only was your sins paid for, if that was it, then there's tomorrow, right? I'm going to sin again. But there was a beautiful exchange that took place. All of my sins, past, present, and future, on Christ, and all of His perfect holiness, righteousness, has been laid on us. The perfect birth, the perfect life, the perfect obedience, the perfect humility, the perfect death is all now ours. And this is what we get in exchange for sin. Does that seem fair to anyone? Does it seem fair? The answer is no, that is not fair. There's no fairness in this. But my friends, we don't want fair. We want forgiveness. And this is the only way that we could have forgiveness. Christ stands in our place, clothed in His sin, clothed in our shame, so that we might stand before God in His righteousness. It's true. This is how we must think about Christ on the cross. There's two groups of people, right? Those born in Adam. Those born in Christ. Those two kinds of people. Those who will stand before God, clothed in their sin. And those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Those who will stand before God and have to receive the wrath of God because they are still clothed in their sin. And those who are going to stand before God and receive life and joy and happiness forever and evermore because they are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That is what's going to happen. So if you are a Christian this morning, I just want you want to call us to lay hold of the cross of Christ, to, to actually remember the beauty and the wonder and the power of that gospel. I want you to remember it, to savor it, to live into it. Look to Christ. Remember what has been given to you. Remember this gift, this costly gift. It's meant for you. It's meant so that you can live in the reality of this cross. And if you are here this morning and you have never tasted the goodness that only comes from Jesus Christ, and I mean tasted not like, oh, that was really nice. I enjoyed these people. This was a really nice service. But I'm talking about deep soul transforming kind of tasting that transforms you from the inside out, that helps you desire to live a more holy, beautiful, pure, humility kind of driven kind of life 
If you have never received and tasted that kind of goodness, I am pleading with you, take hold of the cross of Christ. Place your faith in Christ this morning and say, my ways are terrible, but Lord, your ways are perfect. Be born again, not in the line of Adam, but be born again in the line of Christ. Because that is our only hope. So it's customary to gather on Good Friday to remember the death of Christ. It's a little different for us in a season marked by company parties, festivals and lights, and that one house in Tinley Park that uses more com-ed electricity than anybody else. I think it's on Avon. It's absolutely insane. The gifts and the trees. To be talking in this season, to be talking about Jesus dying in the place of sinners. But my friends, this is a reason that Christ came. This is a reason why He is found in a manger. It's so that ultimately He will die. The cross of Christ is, it is the message of Christmas. That God has come near and that God has come to save us from our sin. So let's keep looking, staring at Christ together. Marveling at the depth of His humility. Praising God for the perfection of His obedience and holding in our heart dearly the message of the cross that Jesus died in place for ruined sinners like you and me. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's come before Him in prayer.